0: Welcome to all of you here this evening. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Freiburg uh, for evening church here at Church at Five. It's good to see you here. Good to see so many of you here on this uh, rather windy evening, it must be said. Uh, My name's Sam. Um, If you're new here at Church at Five, maybe you've been here the last two weeks since we restarted after our summer break. Maybe you haven't seen me before, but um, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel Freiburg. And I'm filling in, as it were, with the announcements today for Brandon because he unfortunately is at home sick. So in a moment, I'll take a moment to pray for him. But I've only got a couple of announcements for you this week. And I think announcements is maybe maybe too strong a word for it. Just a little update from the life of the church. This afternoon... Um, just so you know, 40 of the young people from our church family are gathering in um, the Wiesentastrasse number 29. That's down there on the, the last street before you hit Vauban. Um, for what's called the Wohnwoche, they're going to be living there, sounds crazy, uh, for the next week until Saturday, uh, having Christian fellowship. Uh, in the, during the day, they'll go to school, and then they'll have activities, worship, input, games in the evening. So... If you want to pray for um, prayer points from the life of the church, for the community here, you're very welcome to pray for the youth uh, this week, for those 40, about 40 young people. Now, I just wanted to let you know that we'll be celebrating communion here next week at Church at Five. Next next week, we'll be wrapping up our current series, uh, Revived, Renewed, Restored, as we look at the figure of King Josiah, from the Old Testament, from the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings. That means next week the topic will be uh, restored, and we'll be looking at how King Josiah restored the celebration of the Passover. And I think it says in the text that up until that time, or there had not been a Passover celebrated uh, like that in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. So we'll be looking at that text next week, and so it fits really well with our celebration of communion. Communion being what Jesus instituted as he transformed the meaning of Passover uh, at the Last Supper. So you're welcome to prepare. Just, I think it's good to know when Communion's being celebrated so that you can come and know that we'll be having that communion with each other and with God and you can prepare your hearts. And then I just wanted to let you know I couldn't find it as I opened it here. But maybe we've got one. No, the pens are just falling down. We do have some welcome cards available. Uh, if you're new here or joining us for the first time, they'll be at the back after the service. That's the best way to get in contact with us here, to be involved in the team here as part of Church at Five or, in fact, any other part of ministry here at Calvary Chapel Freiburg or, for example, to join a small group. So check out those welcome cards before you go. And finally, I just wanted to give you another little update on things in the life of the church. I think Kiki has the picture for me, the image. Yes? No. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, well, Um, we don't need a picture. Just to let you know that on our Wednesday midweek service, which is in German, we've started a new series there looking at the book of Ephesians. Again, I think it's a good thing if we know about uh, what's happening around the church community here, and so I just wanted to update you on that. If you do speak German and you're free on Wednesday evenings and you'd like to join us then for fellowship, then you're welcome to come along as we look at the book of Ephesians. Okay. Okay. So let me now get out the Bible and we'll start. So, as I mentioned before, um, my name is Sam and we're currently here in a series looking at King Josiah from the Old Testament, from the books of 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. And it has to be said right at the start, these are not books which get a lot of airplay you could say, in uh, preaching schedules or in reading schedules in churches. So it's an interesting story. I just want to give you a little recap of what we've seen so far. This is our third week, third week back after the summer break, and third week of this series. On our first evening, we had a little introduction to who was King Josiah. Um, Who was he? Where was he from? What was his family like? And Brandon pointed out that, and I agree with him completely, that Josiah is one of those figures in the Bible who is not as well known uh, as he should be. And we, we saw that what defined him as a person was not his parentage, not his, uh, his, his father or his grandfather, who both did not follow the Lord and did not lead the kingdom of Judah according to the word of the Lord. But what defined him was that he was a child of God, that he did, as it says in the report on his life, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, turning neither to the left, or the right—that's your left and your right—and we saw that uh, through his faithfulness, God worked to change the entire culture of that kingdom, of the kingdom of Judah. Then last week we looked at revived, and we talked about how revi- revive comes from the Latin, obviously meaning to live again, revive that through King Josiah, the, the, the entire culture of the kingdom of Judah was revived, and that started with um, Josiah's own personal relationship with God, and that then moved on into the relationship with God that the people of the kingdom had. We looked at three key things, that Josiah began to seek the Lord, began to seek the Lord, That is to say, as Brandon put it last week, it was more than just a doctrine of a deity. It was more than just a philosophical belief that there is a God. Josiah began to seek the Lord in personal relationship. And secondly, therefore, he removed all the idols. He removed all the images that were dedicated to foreign gods, to other gods from the land of Judah. And finally, he repaired the temple He put resources, money, and people into making the temple of the Lord, the place where God had said that he would place his name and place his presence, he repaired the temple, which led to a revival, a a new spiritual life in the land of Judah. So that's where we've been so far. And just to set the scene for you tonight, um, for those who weren't there the last two weeks, I just want to give you a a little bit of historical uh, background And the reason I do that is I don't think um, a sermon here or a message here should be a history lesson, but I also don't think that we should get the impression that our Christian faith is completely devoid uh, devoid of any contact to the historical record uh, of the planet on which we live. Ours as Christians is a historical faith. It looks back into real history at real events that took place that corresponded to events in the secular timeline. But it also helps us, I think, to identify more with Josiah and with his time, because there are similarities between Josiah's time and our time. Josiah was king from around 640 BC through till 609 BC, about 31 years, according to the chronicles. It was a time of massive upheaval. This wasn't a peaceful time to be alive. This wasn't a an uneventful time to be alive. This is a kind of fulfillment of that Chinese proverb, may we live in interesting times. You can take that two ways. What exactly is interesting? There are certainly interesting times. This was the time at which the Assyrian Empire was coming to an end. Now, we've all heard the story of Jonah. Jonah was sent to a city called Nineveh. At first he didn't go, then he ended up, he did go. We looked at Jonah um, not too, in the not-too-distant past here at Church at five. Nineveh, of course, was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria had dominated the world for the last 300 years. They were very powerful. They were extremely brutal. They were just like the world power. Uh, and as far as anyone could remember, they had been the world power, and now they were collapsing into the dust. And if you want to read about that from a biblical perspective, you can open up the book of Nahum, a little prophet, which is a prophecy describing the destruction of Nineveh. So it was a time of massive upheaval. The world order, the order of nations as people knew it, was falling apart. In fact, uh, as part of that upheaval, Josiah will go on to lose his life, and we'll probably look at that next week as he attempted to fight against the pharaoh of Egypt. Josiah was also living in a time after a golden age. I don't know how you feel, I think I'm originally from Sydney in Australia, and Economists say now that my generation of Australians... I can't actually remember what generation I'm part of. I think I'm generation Y. Is that, is, that, is that good? Yeah. That we'll be the first generation in the history of our country to where our general condition in life will be worse than that of our parents. Up until now, life has generally been improving, and you could generally assume that your generation would have it better than your parents. That's not the case anymore. And I think that's a phenomenon that's not just confined to my own country, but to many others. Josiah lived at a time where the people of his country looked back to a golden age where things had been better, where things had been greater. They didn't live in a time where where that was ruled by the motto the best is yet to come. The best is is still before us. Times are always getting better. Rather, they look back to greatness and they looked now at what was left over. The time of Josiah was also, as I said, a time of upheaval. This was the time, just so you can put it together in your Bibles, where the prophets Daniel and Ezekiel lived also. Daniel and Ezekiel both would have been alive at the same time as Josiah. They would have, they would have lived through his reforms. They were part of the generation that was shaped by Josiah's reforms, by Josiah's being revived and renewed for the kingdom of Judah. And I said, Josiah reigned until 609, he he was king until 609 BC, and it was just 22 years later, not very long really, just 22 years later, that Jerusalem and Judah, the entire nation, was destroyed by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it was just four years after his death that Daniel was taken into captivity the first time the Babylonians approached Jerusalem. So this is the context in which we're in. And I think it's important to see that as a backdrop, that in spite of all that was going on, in spite of the world order crumbling, in spite of all the craziness going on in international politics, Josiah was faithful to the Lord. And as we saw the last two times, this was in spite of him not having a father, nor even a grandfather, Nothing is, is told of his to us in the in the scriptures of his mother, so he didn 't have a father he didn 't come from a family of faith in some ways he was all alone and yet he sought the Lord and he remained faithful to him and He, he is uh, for that matter uh, a a hero of the faith and so we come today to um, the third uh, message in this series or, or part two, if you will, of the revived renewed restored we come to to look at renewed today or renewal. And so if you've got your Bibles uh, with you, you can open up to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 34. 2 Chronicles logically follows 1 Chronicles in your Bibles if you're having trouble finding it. Second Chronicles 34, and we'll read the verses. We looked uh, last week at the beginning of Josiah's reforms and the work on the temple, and now... Uh, We'll read from verse 14 through to the end of the chapter. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king And reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. So just so you understand, uh, Shaphan is saying uh, the works that you've ordered to repair the temple are being carried out. Then from verse 18, then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Abdon son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Uzziah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before before us have not kept the word of the Lord; they have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tochath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me." This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. That's Josiah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king, and then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest, He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it, The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Let's just pray for a moment with you. Lord, we... We do thank you for your word, and we do acknowledge this as your word that has been preserved for us down through the centuries, down through the millennia, the word of the old covenant of the people of Israel. And Lord, we thank you that you are the living God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, your character unchanging, your faithfulness unchanging, your compassion, your love, your forbearance unchanging. We pray, Lord, that through your Spirit this evening you might speak to us here, you might uh, impart this word to us, that we might understand what you are speaking. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want very briefly just to look at this text, just to go through a few points, maybe make a few explanations here and there, and then I want to draw out about four points for us here from this text for this evening that fit with this theme, of renewal. So, as we start, I'll just um, I'll just make a few comments as we go through the text, and you're welcome to follow along in your Bible. Basically, what we have here are momentous times, really important times in the history of the people of uh, Judah. And, and just as a as a note, there at the end, it talked about Israel. That tends to happen in the book of Chronicles. The book of Chronicles is written from the point of view of um, of of measuring the the kings of Judah against the law of the Lord. So it's from a a religious mindset, not from a political mindset. And so it tends to refer to the people as Israel, even though at this time we're talking about the divided kingdom. This is only Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, the southern tribes with the capital at Jerusalem. And we read here of a major event, namely that the book Of the law of the Lord had been found in the temple of the Lord. And this book, for for many years, it was taken to be that the book that was found was the book of Deuteronomy, that is, the fifth book of Moses. But there's actually nothing to suggest in 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 the text here that it was only Deuteronomy. Rather, it would seem. From when by its title, the book of the law of the Lord, that it is in fact re- referring to the entire Torah, the entire teaching, or the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, which together were called the law of God. But the reason that many have taken it to refer to the book of Deuteronomy is because of the king's reaction in verse 19 that when the king heard the words that were written in the book of the law of the lord he tore his robes and then in verse 21 he says great is the lord's anger that is poured out on us because of those who have gone before have not kept the word of the lord they have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book and that's taken as a reference to deuteronomy chapter 28 i just want to go very briefly with you there in Deuteronomy 28 this is at the end of Moses' ministry before he ascends mount nebo and dies because he's not to see he's not to enter into the promised land and before he goes he assembles israel on the plains of moab that is today in southern jordan opposite the land of israel and he renews the covenant he renews the uh, the agreement if you will that uh, Israel had made at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law on the tablets of stone. And basically, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is, is divided up into blessing and curses. Let me just give you a taste of Deuteronomy 28. We read there in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments that I give you today... The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And then from verse 15 of the same chapter. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. So that is why it's taken that certainly the text that Shaphan uh, read to the king in his presence read to king Josiah probably came from the book of Deuteronomy and probably from chapter 28. Now, it's interesting. We've seen how Josiah had sought the Lord. He had no spiritual father figure, if you will, to look up to. His own father, according to the record here, did not follow after the Lord, but rather did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this book of the law was found many years after Josiah had been king. So there was still a spiritual life Uh, In the kingdom of Judah, even if the kingdom as a whole had fallen away from true faith. And yet this spiritual life uh, had deteriorated to some degree because the book of the law of the Lord, the the law, the, the word of God to the people through Moses had been lost and was now found again. So when King Josiah tears his robes here, that's a sign of his repentance. As he hears the word of God and he hears what God had spoken to his ancestors so many centuries before, he's overcome by conviction. He says, we haven't kept this covenant. We haven't kept this covenant. You remember in Exodus chapter 19, when God gives the covenant to Israel, you remember that Israel freely enters in to the covenant. They freely enter in. They desire to have a relationship with this God and to serve him. But as history shows, they don't live up to the promise they made. And that's what Josiah recognizes here. And so he says here in verse 21 uh, to his to his um, his secretaries and his officials, go and inquire of the Lord for me. Now, he's not saying with this verse, go and inquire. Can you go and make sure this really is? The book of the Lord? I'm not sure. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and, te- and see if this is really his word. Josiah is convicted. No, this is indeed the word of the Lord. And now we need to inquire of the Lord. What is to be done? We are the covenant community. We've broken the covenant. We've now realized this as we read the word of God that has been lost for so long. What do we do? We need a word from the Lord and so his officials go to the prophetess Huldah and it's interesting that Jeremiah lived around this time and is known as one of the major prophets but he wasn't in Jerusalem and so it's likely that the officials went to Huldah because she lived in the in Jerusalem and by marriage she was related to the officials at the temple that's what's meant by the keeper of the wardrobe the keeper of the wardrobe in verse 22 then Huldah gives an answer that would definitely fit the prophet Jeremiah. She gives a prophecy of divine punishment on the kingdom of Judah. And it's important to recognize this, that this punishment is not given as a slap in the face to Josiah based on his reforms and his revival, but it's a, a prophecy that is spoken because of all that has gone before all that has gone before. It's a a fulfillment, if you will, of those curses that we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But we see, interestingly, in this this prophecy, we see the, the heart of the Lord God revealed that the Lord God, as we read in the Psalms, is slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has compassion on all that he has made. And so he says, in spite of the horrific sin that has gone on here, and if you weren't here, we heard last week how Josiah's grandfather Manasseh was sacrificing his own children in the fire in the valley of Kidron, which runs along the eastern side of Jerusalem. This is how, how far Israel had fallen. In fact, the prophets say that Israel had heaped up for itself more sin and more evil than the nations who had lived before it in the land. Yet God is compassionate, and he said, even though this sin calls out to me, like the blood of Abel calling out to God after Cain had murdered him, even though this sin calls out for retribution, yet I'll be merciful on you, King Josiah, because you have humbled yourself, because you have repented, because as you've now heard the word of God, you have humbled myself in in my presence and have wept. I will let you live out your days in peace. Disaster will not come on this country. And as I showed you in the introduction at the beginning, Josiah lived out his reign. And as we read at the end of this text, as long as Josiah lived, the people did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. But it must be said, as soon as Josiah died, the nation fell into idolatry again. And within four years, the Babylonians were at the gates. And Josiah then, after hearing this word of Huldah, he takes hope. He knows from the history of Israel that God is a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. God loves to show mercy. And when his people repent, he often relents. That is, he holds back and does not send the judgment that he has forewarned. And we see that so clearly clearly in the book of Jonah, which we studied here not too long ago. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? He sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach judgment, to preach judgment on Assyria's crimes. We would call them crimes against humanity today. We call them genocide, the mass destruction of cities and civilians, the horrible mutilation. God sent Jonah to preach judgment. If you don't repent, I will wipe you out. But even for that city with its horrendous crimes, when they repented, God was compassionate and merciful, and he withheld the judgment that he had forewarned. And it's the same here. Josiah is faithful, and he goes up to renew the covenant, to seek the Lord, to recommit the people to the word of God, and to trust in the mercy and compassion of the Lord. So that's just gone quickly through the text i want to draw out briefly now four points what can this te- text teach us this text is a long way removed from us in time and culture i think many of us if we're honest would struggle to relate to this text we would struggle to relate to this text we would struggle to relate to life as it was back then in canaan in israel but i want to try and bring out four points for you tonight that Uh, in In one sense, spiritual principles that apply then as now and therefore apply to our lives. The first thing is the momentous nature of the finding of the book of the law of the Lord. It's the finding of the word of God which ultimately brings the renewal of the relationship of the people to God. Before this time, Josiah had decided, to, had decided to seek the Lord, but the people were not necessarily with him. But through the finding of the, of the word of God, this brings renewal through God's chosen instrument of King Josiah. And the spiritual principle that we can draw out, whether, whether back then or now, is that it is the word of God which is always fuel for revival and renewal. It is the word of God, which is always the fuel for revival and renewal. As Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy, we cannot live on bread alone as humans, apart from God. We must live, we live. We must get that life, we must get that revival, that new life, from the very word of God, from every, mouth that, from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is a principle which is true both individually, so for each one of us, and corporately, that is, for the entire people of God. But if you, if you look back through history, you'll see that in times of great revival, there has always been a, a rediscovery of the authority on the one hand, of the Word of God, that this is not just a take it this is not just a, a book that I can take it or leave it as I want, but this is a book that speaks to my life, over my life, with authority, makes demands on me. Yes, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are commanded to believe it. It's not just a loose offer. In renewal through history, revival through history, the Bible is taken seriously. The word of God is taken seriously with an authority. And that's, as I say, in a personal or a corporate sense. I don't know how it is with you. I know that um, when I forget the word of God, when the word of God does not have that place in my life, does not speak with that authority in my life, it's then that I begin to drift away from the Lord. And the drift goes fairly quickly to idolatry. And in our modern sense, we referenced that last week, it might not be that we go home and we bow down in front of a statue. Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. But there are two forms of idolatry which do creep in as the word of God loses strength in our lives, loses place, loses authority in our lives. That is firstly that we place other things above God. Other things above God. And Brandon looked at that in depth last week. I'm not going to mention it now. You can listen to the message if you like. The second thing is that we begin to distort our view of the true God. We begin to distort our view of the true God. And I have talked to people here, even at this very church, who've told me things that they believed about God. And these things they believed were not because they'd read about it in God's self-revelation in the Bible, in the Holy Scriptures, but these were things that they thought about God because they had experienced them in a, subjective, in a subjective nature, in a subjective experience. That is idolatry, to make up our own view of God apart from his self-revelation through the word of God. And this word, it must be said... Is a word that leads to life if you if you will then open up with me very briefly to Deuteronomy again and chapter four from verse five, Moses is telling the people about this law about this word, and he says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully.' For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. The the point of the law of God and the point of the word of God is to lead to life. That's the point of the Old Testament law. It's the point of the New Testament gospels. God's word is designed to lead to life, to lead to flourishing, to lead to joy. That really needs to sink in for some of us who perhaps have a very different or negative view of the word of God. We've looked at this psalm before, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, Which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prospers. The word of God is fuel for renewal, is fuel for new life. And I think literally today there are there is such great need for the Word of God. There are people around the world who are literally starving for the Word of God. People in whose language the Word of God is not available, people who are not allowed to read. or or read the Word of God, or use the Word of God openly in public, or in in a service of worship. People are literally starving for the Word of God, and that is what it is, which brings renewal. That's the first point I want to draw out to you tonight. Just ask God to give you that love, that love for the Word of God, but also like Josiah, that, I want to say, submission to the Word of God. When Josiah hears that word, he doesn't get all, hey, I'm the king here. I don't want to hear this. He says, no, this is true. This is true. This has got authority over me and over my life, unlike so many other kings of his line. The second point is uh, drawn from verses 19 and 21, the necessity of repentance, the need for repentance. We all need to repent, And Josiah shows us, the story of Josiah shows us that repentance is not a one-time thing. Basically, to repent, I think, uh, is well understood by most of us. If we're Christians, it means to come to a point and say, I'm sorry, I'm traveling down the wrong road. I need to turn around and go down the right road. That's what we've all heard maybe in sermons on the New Testament, that the word repentance in the New Testament, the Greek word metanoia means to change your mind, to turn around. But I think we often get lost or we get confused where we think that's a one-time thing, that I'm a pagan, I'm a heathen, completely away from God, living completely contrary to his law, and I recognize the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, and I repent, and then I'm a Christian. But Josiah shows us, as indeed King David before him, that repentance is actually a way of life. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. When his disciples ask him how then should we pray, teach us how to pray, he gives them the Lord's Prayer and he gives them this one line in the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. From that, I take it that this is a prayer that we pray daily. Give us this day our daily bread that we're bringing to expression every day our complete reliance on God to look after our material needs. But if we're praying for daily for our daily bread, then we're also praying daily that we would be in a that God would be forgiving us, that we understand that repentance is a way of life. That we're not perfect the moment we become Christians. We make mistakes and we go again and again to receive the mercy of the Lord. The necessity of repentance, and Josiah recognizes this, and he repents in verses 19 and 21. Let me just read it to you again. He says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, verse 21, and for the remnant Israel and Judah. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us, because those who have gone before have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And he said that as he tore his robes. When we stray away from God, we need to recognize that we need to repent. This is a principle that's come down to us, again, not just individually, but altogether as a church. One of the things that has come down to us from the Reformation is this sentence in Latin. Maybe you've heard it before, ecclesia, semper, reformanda est. The church is always reforming. Church is always reforming. Whenever perfect as a church, we make mistakes As, as a church, we drift away from God as a church. Maybe an individual congregation, or maybe the church in an entire country or continent. And not only individually, but also altogether as a church, we need to be living this lifestyle of repentance. When the book of the law of the Lord is found again in a church setting, in a corporate setting, perhaps in an entire denomination, or an entire church congregation, then it's time for that church to repent and seek the Lord. And say, yes, we need renewal here. Josiah knew how to repent. He didn't dispute these things, even though he personally was perhaps not responsible. It's interesting that in the, in the last book of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, the very first part of the book of Revelation, so which is written perhaps less than 100 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, the very first part of the book of Revelation, you may have heard, is, includes seven letters to seven churches. Those seven churches are located in the province of Asia, today's Western Turkey. And of those seven churches, five of them are called by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, to repent. Five are called to repent barely 100 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. They're called to repent because God desires to have mercy on them. He desires to give them new life. He desires to bless them again. And he's calling them back. Come back to the word of God. Come back to the testimony of the apostles. Repent. Come back, in the case of of the church at Ephesus, to your first love. Josiah shows us here the necessity of repentance when we recognize the authority and truth of the word of God, we come to repent. The third point I want to draw out for you tonight is repentance leads to renewal. It's this repentance that leads ultimately to renewal. Recognizing the authority and the truth of God's word, that is, recognizing God's authority, repenting where we've ignored this word, either individually in our own lives where we know I've I've left God's word right out of my life, or I've trampled on that word, I know what that word says, and I've done the exact opposite. When we repent in that situation, that's what leads to renewal. That's what leads to renewal in us. And I think this is such an important spiritual principle. We've been seeing, if I can um, just explain for a moment here been seeing that there's been this battle in judah to rid the land of idols to rid the land of sin and even when some idols were destroyed others remained when some um, high places that were devoted to foreign gods remained uh, were destroyed others remained others remained and i know from my own life and i can only imagine that it's similar for you that this is This is similar to how it is in our lives. That God is calling on us to recognize the authority of his word. He's calling on us to get rid of those idols in our lives, those things which take us away from him, those sins, maybe those sins that keep coming back. And yet, it can be such a difficult process. It can be such a difficult thing because we hang on to those high places. We hang on to those idols. We hang on by deliberately ignoring God's word or trampling on that word. I know that from my own life. There are things even now that I can think of where I'm like, Sam, you you can't allow that in your life. You can't keep doing that. You can't keep living like that. Jesus doesn't want you to live like that. And Josiah recognizes this truth that, that he needs to repent and it's repentance, which ultimately leads to renewal. Repentance leads to renewal. Repentance leads to new life, new fruitfulness, new flourishing. And this promise is given here, as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Verse 33 of Second Chronicles 34. That's a third point. It's, it's ultimately repentance that leads to renewal. And finally tonight, I'd ask you to open up with me to Luke chapter 24. Right at the end of Luke's Gospel, on the day of resurrection. This text comes from the, the road to Emmaus. You may recall the story The resurrected Jesus Christ was traveling on the road to a village west of Jerusalem called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers away, and he was walking with two Christian disciples, but they didn't recognize who Jesus was. And they ask him, or he comes up to them in verse 17 of Luke 24, and he asks them, "What what are you talking about? What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus asked them again, without them recognizing him, what things? And they tell him about what's happened to Jesus of Nazareth, his his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion, and the fact that they're now perplexed because some women went to the tomb this morning and it was empty. And then picking up the, the account again in verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then in verse 27, the verse that I want to focus on right now. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself about him, and that's what I want to come to as the final point tonight. Um, we want to, we try here at Calvary Chapel to to have Christ-centered teaching. Basically, that is to say. Let me ask the question, what would Jesus have said on the Emmaus road about King Josiah, about 2 Chronicles 34? What would Jesus have said? How does this text that we've just read tonight about this far-off king in this far-off place, this far-off time, how does that relate to Jesus Christ? What would Jesus say on the road to Emmaus about 2 Chronicles 34? I think Jesus would say is, what Jesus would say is maybe something like this. We read it just a moment ago, as long as Josiah lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, but afterwards they did fail. Jesus would say that this story shows us again, it's another picture in the Old Testament of a redemptive need, that we need redemption, we need salvation, we need to be saved By God, we have need for a new covenant. We have need for a new covenant. I think Jesus would say that Josiah, King Josiah, was a type. King Josiah was a person who pointed to Christ, he was an example of Christ. In Christian theology, we talk about Jesus Christ as our prophet, as our priest, as our king. And Josiah was, that is to say, Jesus unites these things in himself. He is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. And Josiah, as a king, pointed forward to the kingship of Christ. And just as Josiah renewed the covenant in his day with the people of God, he, looked, he pointed forward to a day where Jesus Christ, as prophet, priest, and king, would establish a new covenant by his own blood what jesus would say here is that second chronicles shows us that we need that new covenant so let me finish tonight by reading to you some verses from hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7 there we read for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant the covenant that josiah had to renew in his time. No place would have been sought for another, we wouldn't have needed another covenant. But God found fault with the people. That's an understatement after all of the sin that we've read about. God found fault with the people and said, and quoting Jeremiah, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them out of the by by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. and What is obsolete and outdated will disappear soon. This is the new covenant that Jesus established in his blood at the Last Supper, which we'll look at in more detail next week. So just to come back, it's the word of God which is the fuel always for renewal in the life of the church and in your life if you're looking for renewal. Secondly, this shows us the necessity of repentance. Repentance is a part of the Christian life. When we recognize again, yes, the the authority of the word of God, we need to repent And with those two things, that leads to our renewal, that leads to restoration, that leads to new flourishing and new fruitfulness. And finally, the story of King Josiah shows us that ultimately, that covenant could not last. We needed a covenant that would truly save us, that would truly change our hearts, so that we stop falling back into idolatry, stop falling out of the true worship of God. Josiah points forward to Jesus Christ as the true king, the true prophet, and the true priest who established that that beautiful new covenant that that is ours by his own blood through his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life three days later. Let me invite the worship team to come back up and let me pray to conclude this message. Lord Jesus, I know I can speak for myself tonight and possibly many others here. We want to cry out to you for renewal. We want to cry out to you that you make things new in our hearts, new in our lives. I pray again for myself and for all here where we have neglected your word, where we have allowed patterns of behavior in our life that completely ignore your word, ignore its place in our life. Where we live as though we could live by bread alone and not by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Where we trample on your word by the way that we live or the way that we think or the way that we speak. Lord, I pray for renewal. Pray that we would recognize again that your word is given to us in order that we might thrive. In order that we might live. And I pray that you would grant unto us repentance, repentance that leads to life and renew us for a new season of fruitfulness and of flourishing here at church and here in our city, here at our school, here at our workplace, wherever you've placed us. And I pray that as we sing these final, this final song, I pray that we would rest, we would know that you are gracious and compassionate. You did not leave us with the old covenant, which, as Paul said, only made us slaves to sin. But rather, you have given us a new covenant through your Son, Jesus Christ, an everlasting covenant, a covenant through which you have written your law in our hearts. That is, you've given us a new heart, placed your spirit in our heart, and given us an eternal hope of new life with you, the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and help us to take this message of hope to heart, that you are true to your word, and that you have established that new covenant. I pray finally that you would speak to us through this song. Show us where we need renewal, Lord, and help us to hold fast to the hope that you've given us. Amen. Please do stand now for the blessing. Great to have you guys here. You're so welcome to stay after. Join us down the back for a time of fellowship. I can see there's some snacks, there's some drinks there. So... It would be great to uh, have you stay and uh, maybe get to know you. If you're new here, I'd love uh, love to chat with you. The blessing today comes from the second letter to the Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you In every good deed and word, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.